Face to Face Games proudly presents Grand Prix Toronto, the first Grand Prix featuring the Hour of Devastation limited format, July 21st to 23rd. Come face pro players as they flex their muscles just one week before the Pro Tour. Every Grand Prix entry includes a sleep-in special and registered sealed pool for players with buys. Visit gptoronto2017.facetofacegames.com to register and learn more. So 28 of the First Strike Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is KYT once again with Rob Lombardi and Brian Gottlieb. Got a shout out to our sponsor first, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. And to check out GPToronto2017.com. It's coming up in about less than two months now, July 21st to July 23rd, Hour of Devastation sealed. But I just want to emphasize that anybody can... Go in the venue for free, play side events, check out cards, check out different vendors, check out the cosplayers. That is one of the most uh, frequently asked questions that I get. Like, do I have to pay to get in? Which makes sense because for comic conventions, you do have to pay like some sort of fee. But for, for Magic GPs, you just walk in and enjoy the experience. And with that, how's it going, guys? We doing good? Doing great, man. Thank you for asking, KYT. Always, always <laughs> kind of you to check in with me. <laughs> feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm um, also just fine. <laughs> <laughs> awkward. I feel, I feel like I don't know. I feel like me, but in an awkward situation. Here. I don't know what, what you want from me there, Gabe. Did you want me to like go into a little story about my week, like how things are going? Or I'm doing good, man. I'm happy to be here talking about magic as always. I'm always happy to check in with the First Strike Nation. I feel like I haven't been here for a little while. I feel a little disconnected, so I'm happy to, you know, get my finger back on the pulse of the community. Yeah, I've been yeah, stagged. I feel like it's been forever. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> been a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like it's been forever. So let's jump into uh, the show. I, I wish we could have done the show right after this was announced because uh, that's what we do on First Strike, and it, it seems at this point... Everybody has given their opinions, and it's sort of old news, but I do want to bring this topic and get Brian and Rob's thoughts on, and it's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his handle correctly, is Wizards uh, inviting Amaz to the next PT, PT Kyoto, and they announced it on their uh, website on the mothership. Amaz comes to Kyoto. We're excited to announce today that Jason Chan, better known as Amaz, and not to be confused with magic artist Jason Chan has been given a special invitation to compete in Proto Hour Devastation, which takes place July 28 to 30 in Kyoto, Japan. He's a professional gamer who regularly streams on Twitch and has been an active streamer on most days for over three years. He's currently an active member on one of NRG Esports professional rosters. Special invitations to the Proto are occasionally and sparingly awarded at the sole discretion of Wizards of the Coast. We look forward to seeing him in Kyoto later this year. So when this was announced, it just reminds me of when Day9 got the special invite. A lot of different opinions on Twitter. Some think 
it's deserved, some didn't care. Uh, I think Rob gave his uh, initial opinion, but then revealed that he would have a strong, much stronger stance that he re- would reveal on the show. So, Rob, what is your take on this situation, on this special invite? Yeah, so I'm kind of against it only because they, I guess there's two main reasons. I recall them saying when they stopped the special invite program that it wasn't accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish and they didn't feel that it represented the values that it takes to get to the PT and that they weren't going to do it anymore. And I looked uh, pretty hard for the article where they stated that, but like (laughs) everyone was talking about this new uh, special invitation. Uh, so my like Google search was just filled <laughs> with that garbage and I, I couldn't locate it. I wasn't sure exactly how they worded it, but I feel like it was a few years ago that they were like, okay, yeah, we're going to do away with the special invite stuff. It's like, doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't do what we want to do. And people aren't really like happy with just random poker players or whoever, just getting an invite to the PT just, you know, because we want them to, or like someone made a, I think they're even doing it for like, if you top eight, like a, or top 16, a bunch of GPs in a row, and you miss out on breakers and stuff, they're like, okay, we'll just, like, gift you an invite because you were, like, kind of close, bro. So, you know, you know, come come hang out and see if you can prove uh, your worth on the PT. We'll, we'll give you a one-shot. And I remember them specifically not not wanting to do that anymore. But I think... Uh, so that that's weird that they kind of retract on that, that viewpoint. Um, but what annoys me more is that they're doing this so they can convert Hearthstone viewers, right? Because they're specifically targeting someone who streams a lot of Hearthstone. So doing it so they can convert Hearthstone... I think he froze on us, Brian. Well, that follow he oh, he's back, he's back. Matches, well, uh, the P- at the PT, right? And then, um, I don't know, being interested in magic because of the coverage. But like Hearthstone coverage is so much more engaging. So I feel like it's almost going to do the opposite of what they want. Where like the people that are tuning in to watch Amaz will now be like disinterested in magic because of its like non-stimulating visual aspects in the way that it's covered because it's a paper game and not a digital game. So I mean, I think <laughs> Rob has, has such a strong take on this that he's literally destroying the internet. Like he's just setting it aflame with his. It's a good idea. I'm really going to be interested in. No, I don't think. I don't think this is good for them. Okay. Go, go uh, ahead. So. so- <laughs> Rob, you dropped about half of what you were trying to say there due to your internet quality. Oh, so I, I think I caught the gist of what you were trying to say. <laughs> um, and I can respond to, to some of your points. Um, you, you're concerned Hearthstone coverage versus Magic coverage, and when a Hearthstone player comes to watch a Magic stream, they're going to be a little disappointed. That seems valid to me. I, I see what you're saying. Um, but I, I don't think we can keep going on and hoping that people don't watch the coverage of our game, right? Like, that's not a good place to be in. So they are trying to make positive changes. Maybe there's huge positive changes coming for this next PT. There's really no way of us knowing. Um, but I, I do think that they believe that they're presenting a good product right now. And they're certainly presenting a better product than they previously were. Um, but if they had no confidence whatsoever in what they were producing for the Pro Tour, that would be a really bad place to be in, right? Like they just didn't have any faith in their product whatsoever. So they're past that. They believe that they're putting on a good show for the pro tour. We know it needs to be better, but they feel like it's at a place where they want to attract viewers. So I see what you're saying. That's not enough to get me to dislike this special invite. Um, you talked about how things previously, previously used to be in regards to the special invite. Um, 
the close but no cigar invites where someone you know does really well at a bunch of stuff and gets an invite those can never come back those were disastrous i i had a friend who he was he top five he finished in the top five of eight different ptqs in a season these are the old style ptqs and he was so sure he was getting a special invite he was just positive he was so excited and i think it would have been for his first pro tour appearance um and you know everyone was like writing to wizard saying hey this guy did this he definitely deserves the invite and you know privately he, he wasn't saying anything publicly but privately he believed he was going to get a special invite and then he didn't and he was devastated and you know he was comparing all the metrics like other people who got invites only top aided four ptqs i top aided five how come you chose them and not me and that's that was a disaster that was there's no way special invite should have been done under those um circumstances but I will point out that we're dealing with a new regime at Wizards. These are not the same people who made the decision to discontinue special invites. So I'm not going to try and kind of hold them to what the last regime did in regards to special invites. If they want to go in a new direction, I'm cool with it. I don't really know anything about this guy. Um, I do believe that he is a magic player. He's not just a, a nobody. And if he's a very, very good Hearthstone player, Maybe he's also a competent magic player. I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not familiar with him. From what I saw around the internet, it seems like he does have like some knowledge of the game and not just like, oh, I play once in a while, like kind of what the situation was with Day 9 where he really had like no business at the Pro Tour. I think this guy can show up and like hold himself, you know, acquit himself fairly well. Um, and it's just, it's not a disaster. Like if you're not into it, okay, you're not into it. It's not for you. But if it does get more eyes on the game, if it does get fresh eyes on stream, if it adds new players to the player base, if he does a really good job personally exploring what it means to prepare for a pro tour and um, you know, making either vlogs or you know, streaming every day with the intent of showing people his preparation and how exciting it is and how much it means to him. And, and you know, if he personally does a really good job with this invite, that's a that's a huge again free advertising for wizards remember the pro tour is short for not professional but promotional tour this is a pro promotional tool for magic um and if they think this is the best way for them to promote their game uh i i don't think they're really desecrating the spirit of the game by adding this one special invite so I, i'm cool with this if it becomes a widespread thing where they just grab a bunch of streamers and the invite system becomes like Hearthstone's invite system, where I'm, I'm not 100% locked into the Hearthstone qualification system, but my perception as an outsider has been that it's as much a popularity contest as it is a merit contest. And that's been my perception of Hearthstone tournaments. I hope that magic never comes to that. If that's, if that's where we go, I'm done. Like, that's it. I'm out of the professional game. I'm, I'm not playing a popularity contest for my spot on the Pro Tour. Um, but we're so far from there yet, and I think this is a fine one-off. If they, if they did one of these every Pro Tour, featured a different streamer who then, in return, produced a bunch of content, I really think of them more as a media insider than a competitor, a media insider who, who happens to be competing. I, I think that's fine. You're not, you're not destroying the sanctity of the tournament with one entry, basically. Yeah, I'm sure that, of course, <laughs> there's like 500 people that are queued. Uh, so one person's not going to make a difference, um, especially someone that hasn't queued before. is likely to make <laughs> a big shakeup. But it's just, it's weird that they decided to target Hearthstone um, and not target like somewhere where I, I feel they could actually probably pull people into the game. Like, why not target a very popular Pokemon player or Yu-Gi-Oh or Force of Will or, or like 
some other game where like the coverage is going to be actually just straight up worse than Magic. And the gameplay is also worse than Magic too, right? So there's probably I think it would be more effective to look at that if, if what you're trying to do is bring people into the game and then bring people into your viewership. I feel like at, at this point where coverage is at, where the game is at, seems like the resources put there would be better served. But I mean, this is better than them doing nothing. I just hope it's not counterproductive, which is my only fear. I just want to propose that they may not be quoting him as a Hearthstone player. They may be quoting him as a streamer. Because they talk about how he's been a streamer for three years. I don't know how long Hearthstone's been around. I don't know if that predates Hearthstone or not at this point. But it does seem like they're as interested in his daily viewership as his competency in a card game and his, his role as kind of a figure in those card games. So I think maybe if there was a Yu-Gi-Oh! streamer or a Pokemon streamer who got the same kind of viewership numbers that this guy did, you know, I, I would like them to invite top League of Legends streamers if that's what their goal is. And, and I know a lot of top League of Legends players do play the game. Maybe that's the right way to go. But it sounds, it sounds more to me like this guy's a content creator. And, and that's where his bread is buttered. And again, I'm not familiar with him. So if I'm totally off base, you know, you guys can yell at me and tell me I have no idea what I'm talking about. But my understanding is that he's a content creator and that's why he's coming to the Pro Tour. And I like that because if he's able to create good, compelling content, um, that's a really strong advertisement for Magic. So, uh, Brian, I just want to talk about, you mentioned a friend of yours who, uh, about the old special invite. Can you uh, repeat to me what, what, uh, why you brought that up? Because I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was my friend Max Brown, and he, he I, I just saw the devastation that it caused for him to believe that he had to kind of earned his place into um, a, a, a Pro Tour invite and then have it snatched away from him. I don't think anyone should be put through that. That's, that's my point, is that special invites are okay when used in a certain context, but the, the close but no cigar context is just a disaster. I don't, I don't want to see that back on the table anytime soon. Yeah, the, the reason it, it, it springs up to my mind, because I was there that weekend where he made his fourth, whatever crazy, fifth or sixth top eight. Chat's saying he had six top eights. So uh, that, that might be... Chat is saying he had six top eights <laughs> in that season. That might be correct. By the way, it was insane amount on Saturday. Uh, but the issue was that... From, this is my uh, side of the story, I guess. There was a PTQ on Sunday as well, and he was in attendance, and he was helping, I guess, Flipside Games. Is that the store name, Brian? Yep. Flipside Games Van, instead of playing, because, and then it, I think word got out that it just seemed like Max was banking that he had already qualified and for, like, for, didn't play Sunday's PTQ because he, he thought it was in the bag. So I think that message actually got to Wizards and likely made it so that, like, that's what I heard. And that's what it... Look, that, that's his job. Like, he, he, sometimes you have to go to work as opposed to playing a PTQ. And you can write whatever narrative you want around that. He's also a partial owner of the company. Like, sometimes you have other responsibilities and, and you can't just, you know, go play every PTQ you want to play. So maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But... I, I think either way, it doesn't really, it doesn't change the narrative. Like, right. you know, people with equal resumes on paper and Wizards had to make a choice of which one they were going to give a special invite. And, and whether they chose Max or they chose the other guy, one of them was going to feel bad, right? It just leads to hurt feelings and, and someone feeling left out either way. Yeah, I just, I just have to bring, bring about the, the rumors around that situation because I was there that weekend. And then later I, I felt Max's pain as well. He's a friend of mine as well. Uh, Brian, uh, to Willie Edel mentioned that it's okay. What do you think about what he said when he tweeted that it's, he feels it's okay if we invite him to GPs 
but not the PT because that's the. Uh, but Mark Rosewater actually clarified that everyone considers that the promotional tour. I don't know if you catch that too, where he's like, "Well, it's actually the professional tour." But anyways, um, yeah. Willie's like, Willie's like, okay, like just bring him to GPs where it's like an open invitation to anyone. Like sponsor him to go to different GPs, have give him feature matches. But I guess like Wizards what wanted to do is feature him at like the pinnacle of their coverage i like what willie's saying what willie's saying makes sense too and probably they should be doing that you know at a local level when there's like a uh your your gps in you know whatever town your gps in kansas city and there's some popular streamer based in kansas city yeah bring them feature them ask them to make a little content that's a great idea um but i think the goal is to get as many eyes onto the game as possible obviously the pro tour is the best way to do that i understand you know this is a little cleaner and a little less intrusive but if this guy played a GP, I would have no freaking idea who he's playing a GP. And they're saying in the chat that he does play GPs. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know he was at a GP. It would mean absolutely nothing to me. And it's probably going to mean nothing to me when he plays the Pro Tour, too. But to someone, it's going to be important. And it can be a narrative throughout the day. And you can check in with him. You can do interviews with him. So the people who are there for those purposes feel paid off. I think that's a little bit harder to do uh, at the GP level. Um. But I, I, that's a fine idea. And I guess it's just like, how far do you want to go with it? And Willie's is a little less intrusive and a little less impactful. And I think that Wizards felt they wanted to do something more impactful and a little bit more intrusive. But I think the cost is just so minimal that it's not worth getting bent out of shape about. Uh, well, Rob, what do you think about what Willie said? Yeah, I don't really think it accomplishes. Uh, you are, what do you need to invite someone to a Grand Prix? Like, yeah, that, that was <laughs> it's an open people. tournament. So, yeah. I mean, you can uh, maybe encourage them. I, I don't know. I don't really think it accomplishes any goal. It's probably just like the coverage team should be more cognizant of the players that are playing in the Grand Prix that have popularity in areas other than Magic, and then they can maybe work towards featuring them in the earlier rounds. Because like this is the first I've ever kind of heard of Amaz. I don't really follow the Hearthstone circuit at all, um, or the streaming circuit <laughs> for that matter. And I, I, I've heard that he's played quite a few Grand Prix and he's done reasonably well at quite a few Grand Prix as, uh, as well. So, like, why wouldn't, like, why has he not got a feature match before? Like, if, if what you're trying to do is test to see if, like, his viewers are interested in watching him play Magic, I feel like, you know, if he's X2 at a GP or something like that, then you should, like, throw him on the camera, right? So, I don't know. They, they probably have a lot of missed opportunities at the Grand Prix level, now that I think about it, which kind of is more interesting uh, point that... Uh, that Willie has, has, has brought up, I guess, that, yeah, like, there's probably quite a few people that are playing Magic Grand Prix that have a following uh, that, that maybe they should try and utilize to uh, increase viewership there instead of just hitting the same pros against the same pros every round. It's not really... No one really cares until, like, late into day two anyways, right? Unless it's, like, Sam Black or someone with some crazy brew. <laughs> um, th- what was your opinion of when... David Williams got special invite because he he had that poker fame. I wasn't really playing then. Um, okay. I, and I mean, I guess it brought him into the game. I think Efro had the same thing happen to him, right? Where he was kind of like out, and then he got a special invite as well because of his poker notoriety, and I like pulled him right back in. Actually, I think he was able to kick off like a top twenty-five, and that's been the, <laughs> the story of his Magic career started started there and, and ended in the Hall of Fame or whatever. But um. I don't know. I think it's fine. I'm not sure like what that accomplishes uh, either. I mean, it's good to have like people in other games interested 
uh, in Magic and kind of being an ambassador for it. So it's good that those guys stuck around and that they're they're actually good. But they also would have just like made it on their own, right? Like they're both competent players. So I'm not sure that it was truly uh, necessary, even if it did kind of kickstart their careers in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, but you but you're saying uh, how you what's more important to you is how you see that person that special invitees audience converting like how successful it would be to converting to magic players a lot of a lot of twitter a lot of screenshots of like amaz's uh mtgo rating and how good he is does it matter how good he actually is to you i mean it's it's the reach that matters more right rob for you i mean i, I think so like i that that seems to be their goal right like um if they wanted to do that, I think there's a lot of other, if they're just trying to gift someone an invite that might be deserving, but never made it. There's like a lot of people on that list, <laughs> which is kind of that close call thing, right? Like Kenji has been uh, one of the strongest uh, online ambassadors for magic for like the last three years. And he's had a lot of close calls, especially on Moto. Like I think he's made it to the finals of uh, like three PTQs or something like that, which is really rough considering he has lost them all. So, I mean, if you're trying to gift someone an invite that is has a strong following online that is also a good Magic player, like, he's kind of probably near the top of the list in terms of representatives for, for Moto anyways. But, yeah, I mean, I actually don't think it matters uh, if Amaz is good at Magic or not. Because <laughs> that doesn't seem to be what they're interested in doing, right? They don't, I mean, I'm sure that it's, they don't want him to just get blown out, so they're not going to select someone who's awful. But um, I think if they get an increase in... 2,000 viewers or something, they'll consider it a, a pretty good success. Hmm. I'm not so sure how needs to be a Like, you have to be good enough where you won't embarrass yourself, and, and this guy seems to cross that threshold pretty easily. Yeah, he's definitely good. Um, like, that, there's yeah. no that, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it needs to be someone that, that actually enjoys the game and loves playing it. Uh, Ryan used like, poker. Like, this, like, last night, I was checking out the stream uh, for poker, super the super high roller, like a really baller tournament. That now now Kevin Hart is now sponsored by Poker Stars, and he's playing. He was on stream, and yeah, he just ruined it. He made the stream unwatchable. He was uh, he's like the sole reason not to watch the stream. I'm like, please get Kevin Hart away from this table. He's cringeworthy the entire time. I watched it for like five seconds. I'm like, I can't take any more Kevin Hart. He's literally ruining this poker game. Most people would disagree with you, Brian, because there yeah, are twenty. 20,000 uh, viewers, and it's been a long time since I've seen poker be so, like, popular in a way to, to see. Like, poker ended up being the fifth uh, most popular game of, on Twitch, which is something I don't see that often. So it is interesting if, well, I can't see Magic bring that big of a star at any point, but anytime soon. But it would be interesting to see, like, what type of, a huge celebrity would do for the game. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of magic players out there. I I think the thing is though that um it's it's more about media reach than just being a celebrity. Like I don't I don't know I'm not big into celebrities. I don't know maybe Kevin Hart's like a super active Instagrammer or um oh, I'm gonna sound like such an old person Snapchatter. He's the Snapchat or, yeah. king. He is. Yeah, okay. I don't, even, I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> he, he actually is a Snapchat king. <laughs> okay, great. So we need the equivalent of the Snapchat king or queen who plays magic to come in and, and do the thing. And I think that's the, it has to be a, a kind of, uh, you know, new school celebrity, one with the kind of reach 
uh, social media reach to really make their presence at the tournament felt. And um, I think that's where, why are like the special invites of guys like Dave and Efro kind of fail a little bit. I'm not that into those invites because I don't think they really brought a lot of people with them. I'm not saying they did or didn't deserve them. I, I mean, it's a long time ago. I don't really care about that. I just don't think that they were a good vehicle for making the Pro Tour more popular. I don't know if this. I keep calling him Amaz. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. I don't know if this Amaz guy is a good vehicle for bringing a bunch of people, um, but. Trying to find people who are vehicles is the right approach, I think, as opposed to just finding like okay magic players who who have missed a few times. Yeah, I think Kevin Hart has <laughs> Kevin Hart has thirty four million Twitter followers. It's insane, and he's the Snapchat king. Um, just get that guy playing magic, and then get him at the Pro Tour, and then we're talking. <laughs> It's like more that's more Twitter followers than like every magic celebrity combined, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not too I'm not too upset right now at this special invite thing. More curious to just kind of watch where they're gonna go with it. Um if it's like Brian said, if it's in a very small dosage, like one or two invites a year or one invite a PT or something, like that that that's fine, that's palatable. But if it starts being like blocks or like a, a whole team of where it's like we're sponsoring an entire team. Okay, I think uh, Rob's like roboting again. So, part of like a PT or whatever. <laughs> uh, his internet hates him so much. For, for a guy who works with computers, you just expect he would have better internet. I don't we know. had a very savage storm last night and a very savage storm today here in Hamilton, and it is driving the internet gods very crazy. I apologize. <laughs> Um, I think, I think, well, to finish on that note, we're going to move on to some, uh, GP Kobe discussion, uh, but I think David Williams' reach was pretty reasonable, like finishing second at WSOP, and then, um, he did get on, uh, oh man, escapes my mind, he, 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 that chef show, was it, yeah, uh, cooking show, but doesn't that, don't his special invites pre- date those well not really predate that predate kind of like the social media thing like having reach on social media being important i think so uh, it was master chef i think he was on oh, yeah yeah master chef um that's a good point did, he get, a, did he get a special invite recently that i don't know about maybe no no well i'm talking about like way back yeah when you first got back in he was just known he was just a popular poker player like bodog was sponsoring david williams but yeah. i don't know if like you said social media like twitter kicked off at that point yeah that's a good point is that that now it's huge now it's like the most important thing mm -hmm. how much twitter followers yep. instagram followers you have that's like a huge thing more important than than a lot of things um but yeah um moving on to gp kobe a lot of uh attention has been brought on to the top eight list and i've played my fair share of japanese lists that uh my friend alexander hayne has told me that is bad or just definitely misspelled, but in my head, it's like, how do they make top eight then? How do they consistently make top eight with these weird looking decks? And it just keeps happening. I don't know why. I guess everyone just doesn't know how to build their decks. So the edge of having a non, not streamlined deck is you don't get punished that badly. That's my only theory. But looking through uh, the top eight, we, we saw one, one of the biggest ones is uh, Affinity that happens to play 
one copy of Collected Company and a bunch of other weird choices. Is that right, Rob? Yeah, this list is just like so awkward. <laughs> I have to like look at it <laughs> to remember all the weird choices uh, that this guy made. So, um, Two Steel Overseer is is interesting, but I guess I, I can see it. Uh, but like the spells being chopped between like two Thought Cast and then two Galflasts, so you're like not really, I don't know, focused on being, um, I don't know, like streamlined card advantage or, or like mana efficiency deck or or aggro deck. Um usually people are just playing four four of either just so you can streamline your game plan, I guess. Uh and then one glimmer void, two spire of industry. Uh I, I don't know. It's just like <laughs> there's just a lot of really uh interesting choices in this deck. And then the one Coco is also just I don't know, it seems like it's just way way out to lunch. I mean I guess if you coco into like um two master of Ethereum or something like that, <laughs> you're gonna really get somebody the first time they see it. But I don't know. I, I could just never bring a deck like this to a GP. I mean, Affinity has the capability to just kind of nut draw like game after game and, and get there. So I'd be interested to to really understand like how many of this guy's wins were just from Affinity dubbing its hand close to turn one or turn two, and then just rolling them, or like, was it really important that so, ran, like sometimes randomly he could cast Thoughtcast, and sometimes randomly he could do four damage, um, and then that mattered, right? It's just, uh, yeah, it's just really, it's really weird. I feel like he probably ran Hot up eight more so than this deck list is like super techy and the way that you want to build Affinity in the future. I've seen some other people note out some. They're they're more well versed in affinity. Note uh, some other weird choices in in how the deck is built. But yeah, I, I don't know, <laughs> Brian. How do you feel about Coco and Affinity? Is that like if it's sweet, should we be playing for? I feel like uh, <laughs> Frank Carson looked at this deck list and his head actually exploded, like on the spot. Just <laughs> that was the end for Frank Carson. You should have a Frank Carson memorial today. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I. I don't know, man. One of these choices is better than the other when it comes to Thoughtcaster Galvanic Blast. And all of them are better than Collected Company. I guarantee that. That's a bonkers choice. Um, and I thought, like, you know, when I took a quick perusal of this, I was like, oh, it must be that Spire of Industry really unlocked the mana base. And now he has way more multicolored sources and he can just kind of do whatever he wants. And then I look. And he just got rid of Glimmer Voids for it. Like, what the hell? It's not even like he added more multicolored sources to his deck. He just swapped poss- possibly an inferior source in for the superior source. So I-, I don't know what's going on here, man. I mean, Affinity is a deck that kind of rides the variance wave pretty hard anyway. Um, please don't copy this deck list and show up at a tournament. And I, I mean, I'll-, I'll go ahead and, and move the Seguinian right onto the next deck list that you should not copy. And that's this Esper control list. And listen, there may be something interesting going on with this Esper control list. He's, he's got some unique card choices that I actually do see some payoffs for. I think Four Painful Truths is a real interesting inclusion. Uh, th- and I'm talking about, uh, I believe it's Akio Chiba's Esper control list. Four Painful Truths is a very interesting inclusion. Uh, a lot of powerful spells here. But the thing that blows my mind is the Four Glory Bound Initiate. And it's not that I think Glorybound Initiate is a bad card, and it's not that I don't see what the card is trying to accomplish, but don't you just feel like he forgot Seeker of the Way exists? 
Like he totally didn't realize that was a card in modern. And he's like, Oh, I'll play this new card instead because seeker of the way seems so much better than glory bound initiate in this deck. Um, I, I don't know, man, that's, that's a weird inclusion to me. If you're that concerned with the life gain, I think secret way is going to gain you much more life on average. If you're concerned about being able to attack into a Tarmogoyf, the fear of your seeker growing is, is somehow sometimes worth just as much as uh, being able to actually make the four, four glory bound initiate. So I, I don't know what's going on with that card. That seems like a bonkers inclusion to me, please. If you, if you're going to copy this list, just switch to seeker of the way to start with, trust me, you're going to be way better off. And then you can let me know how the rest of the deck list is, but get those glory bound initiates out of there ASAP. Yeah, this list is really hard to follow. What <laughs> what is the reason for glory bound initiate over a lot of cards? I, I think yeah, if, if the life gain is so important to you, uh, because you're playing painful truths and because you're playing some amount of thought seizes, and maybe the Japanese metagame is very aggressive, then Seeker of the Way seems reasonable. But I feel like uh, he was short four cards, and he's just like, I don't know what to put in. And his buddy's like, I just bought four Glory Bound Initiates, so I don't know. You could just play those, I guess. And he's like, Yeah, you know, Cole, Cole Clark whatever. has the most. Cole Clark has the best explanation. He says Boots didn't bring Seeker of the Way, so he had to look through the standard binders. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's, that's the, that's best the most possible. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let us hope. Let us hope. Is there a way to get Vigilance that we're just missing? I don't want to seem like a complete idiot. No. Here. <laughs> No, oh, no, it's, it's Batter Skull. It's Batter Skull. He combos with Batter Skull. That's oh, what it shut is. up. Yeah, yeah. Shut up, right? It's Batter Skull. That is not Eight. it. No, it is Boom. not. Wow. That has nope. to be it. No, that's <laughs> not it. You guys are out of your damn mind. Wow. Not at all. We cool. solved it. We He might have solved Modern, actually. Um... No, it has double there you go. Link, you right? should get your glory bound initiates. Get your foil ones before they go through the roof. It's the next fatal oh, push. Jesus. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this list is pretty crazy. I mean, I think Secret Way might be okay in a deck like this. It, it seems pretty good. I, I really do like everything in this list except for the glory bound initiates. I think that it's uh, a pretty diverse removal suite with a pretty diverse card advantage, a card advantage suite. With a, a a reasonable like just a couple counter spells that are interesting as well. So this deck actually interacts on a lot of levels that are uh, very good. It's just the Glorbound Initiate seems pretty crazy. Uh, so I, yeah, agree I really like it. Four Painful Truth. Four Painful <laughs> Truth is not something that a lot of decks have have done so far, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's very very good. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just, man, Glorbound Initiate never would have expected. I mean. Never would have expected that. But yeah, I'm glad that GB Kobe uh, gave us some interesting stuff to talk about. That's for sure. The rest of the tournament seems pretty stock, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think? The, yeah, Nauseam deck, uh, Brian, since you're a Nauseam expert, uh, looks pretty stock to you, right? Yeah, he's playing Spoils of the Vault, which is a card that I, I don't like, but a lot of people disagree with me. And it's, it's been so long since I um, have kind of played Ad Nauseam that. I'm willing to accept that maybe I just haven't evolved properly. Um, he also has a Godhead of Awe in the sideboard, which I thought was... I, I actually don't know what I think of that. Maybe it's good? I have actually no idea. Um, I'm trying to think, like, like, I think he played that in the spot where I played Teferi, which is a card it seems like I would much rather have besides Godhead of Awe, but I, I don't know. I, I'm really... I would love to hear his reasoning behind that card. 
if anyone wants to to posit a guess of why he's playing Godhead of All, I'd certainly like to hear it. Does it wreck the uh, the counters Coco deck by making them one ones? Or does, does it matter? It? it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter. No, it it, it would matter. I, I think. Would it? Maybe it doesn't matter at all. I don't, I don't want to think about it. Honestly, it's making my head hurt just thinking about it. But <laughs> but I, I have a hard time believing it's the best option because even if it does wreck that deck, it still costs five. Like it's not like it's super easy to cast. Um. So yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on with with that card. Kills all the death shadows. Okay. Maybe it does. I can't argue with you, but I don't think that makes it any good. Um, yeah, that, that's about all I have from that list as a takeaway. I really like playing the Conjurer's Bauble one win condition. I don't like Lab Maniac and um, Spoils of the Vault. But again, my my experience with the deck is a little outdated. And I mean, back when I was playing the deck, I was accounting for a completely different metagame of like Splinter Twin and Birthing Pod decks. So uh, things might have just changed to make that the right decision. Uh, look like like you said that the rest of the top eight, like you guys said, looks pretty normal, and we can see from GP Copenhagen and even SCG uh, in Baltimore that Brad Nelson win, which is kind of funny because he he tweeted that uh, he might that he wasn't going to be playing, unfortunately, and then tweeted moments later that someone had registered him, like an email that he was registered for the tournament, and kind of pretty funny that he ended up taking it down with Grix's Death Shadow. Uh, when we're looking at these top eight, I, just, I can just see Wizards tweeting about it and how diverse it is. And we have seen MTG uh, Goldfish showing like the metagame percentages. And as you guys mentioned uh, before the show, it's pretty flat. Like uh, Kobe, it's like Ad Nauseam, Affinity, Esper Control, Grixis, Grixis Shadow, Jeskai Control, Dredge, Eldrazi Tron, uh, Joso One with White, Black, Eldrazi. So like all different decks. And even in Copenhagen, it was all different decks in top eight. Even in the SCG Baltimore, what do we think about the spread? Is it like just really flat? Rob? Yeah, I think it makes sense because like no one has really had, I mean, the top pros haven't really had their mind on modern since they took it away as a PT format, right? And the last GP we had was Vancouver, which was kind of a breakout for Death Shadow Zoo, if I remember correctly. Um, or, like, I guess the, the new iteration of, of that deck, anyways. Uh, Death Shadow Jund or whatever. Uh, so, I don't know. I, people just... I, I feel like Modern is just rewarding better play skill right now. And, like, knowing your matchup and how you want to battle, like, the known decks than it is about, like, breaking the format. Like, if you see just the diversity, right? It seems to reward kind of just people who are very experienced in, in Modern, the format, rather than uh, kind of their deck choice. There's no like Amulet Bloom or Splinter Twin or something that's uh, completely busted. So I don't know if you're interested in modern and you want to do well at it, I would imagine just getting into one of the tier one decks of which there's like eight and playing it nonstop and really knowing how everything works over the next year. I think you'll probably do reasonably fine. I, I think that's what Wizards wants from modern. And I think that's what the modern player base also wants. So I guess them getting rid of modern as a PT format was probably actually accomplishing the goal that they, they set out to do, um, which is surprising for them. Maybe, <laughs> I mean, it's not really a format for me. It makes playing GPs like really difficult since there's like 15 viable decks or whatever, but I don't know. 
if the players are happy, which it seems they are given the attendance, then uh, it's definitely better than standard right now. I can't tell you that much. <laughs> Brian, now, if, if you had a, a monorail tournament this weekend or something, what's your approach given this like flat metagame? Do you see anything uh, based on all these lists you've seen that really jumps out of these at you as being potentially the best deck? I think it's becoming like legacy where you're just rewarded for knowing your deck inside and out, having good sideboard plans, and there's a lot of viable options. Um, you know, personally, I have a ton of Storm games in, and seeing Storm kind of make its way back into the metagame uh, excites me because that's a deck that, you know, if you know, if you know Storm, you know Storm forever. Like once you take the time to learn Storm, it kind of holds. Uh, so I, I like that aspect of it. Um, but I don't think that reading metagames or trying to adapt is such a good idea. You know, maybe you're changing like one or two slots in your sideboard and tweaking the main deck slot here or there. But I really wouldn't try and ride the wave and pick the right deck for the right week. It's more about knowing your deck inside and out, becoming a master of your archetype, um, knowing all your ins and outs. And, and that would be my advice is just like it's, it's time to pick one modern deck and stick to it. And it's got to be something you love playing. Um, you love the intricacies, intricacies of, you don't get bored with. And when you're playing those matchups that kind of, you know, we know how legacy, there's matchups that are very dictated by what two decks are sitting across from each other. It, you don't have a lot of impact uh, on the outcome and you have to be willing to accept those. So figure out what your tolerance is for, you know, 30, 70 matchups and decide if you're going to play a deck that has some of those. Me personally, I, I tend to play a lot of 45, 55 decks where like, I'm not a favorite against anything, but I feel like I can play every matchup. Um, I probably, for a GP, would go the other way and take some 30, 70 matchups just so I can have the, the reverse edge in other matchups and hope to get a little lucky. I don't think playing a 45, 55 deck in a GP is a winning strategy. I think you're just asking for too many things to go right. Um, you need to kind of have a significant skill advantage to take that strategy on. So when I play local modern, I'll often, often play something like Jonder Abzan because I think I'm better than most of the players present. But if I was playing a GP, I'd be more inclined to, you know, take one of those, those gambles and play a deck where you really get some benefit for knowing your matchups, but you're still going to get saddled with the bad matchup every now and then. So if I was playing a GP, I'd probably play Storm. That would be my choice. Hmm. You I think, think I, would, I would play Esper. I would play something close to Accio's. Whoa. I think I think it's it, it looks well positioned given like where the 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 most popular metagame choices are. I feel like his removal suite is, is good against like Death Shadow, Tron, Affinity, and uh like the company decks. Um and he has enough card advantage to go toe to toe with like Jund and stuff like that. So I feel like you can you have a lot of play with that list, so I would look to take the glory shits up and see where it goes and see where it goes from there. Oh, we should, we should, you should do videos with the exact list. I guess. <laughs> I think, Get the glory down shits up. Come on, for the nation, the nation will love that. Uh, if I have the deck, I will do that. All right. I, hopefully, I'm missing a few cards, so I don't have to. <laughs> just pass you my mana hours or something. <laughs> uh, our f- friend of the show, Shaheen Sarani, had, had been on the show and mentioned how KCI should be banned, probably, or some sort of piece. He did end up playing it, and not only did he play it at SCG Baltimore, he got to do a deck tech, and he didn't do so bad. He didn't top eight, but out of, I'm seeing here, out of 903 players, he was able to finish 35 
uh, 35th with 30 points, which means that he did reasonably, he had a reasonable uh, weekend with the deck. And I'm interested in seeing how, so it's likely not super broken, but who knows? Who knows? He, he, like the amount of people playing this deck must be pretty low. Um, seeing in the modern classic, I think it also, there was a copy in the top 16. Are you still intrigued by that deck, Rob? Which which list, sorry, was he playing? KCI. Oh, yeah, I mean, the deck is so explosive, but if people, uh, like, Affinity seems to be, like, back in a place where it's actually competitive in the metagame, so I feel like just a random Affinity hate is going to be just prevalent in everyone's sideboard or, or main deck or whatever, which may... Some of it is very hard uh, to deal with for KCI. And it gets also kind of like hosed by random graveyard hate too. And since like Dredge and the Coco deck and um, I guess maybe the Coco deck doesn't care so much anymore, but um, Dredge and like Death Shadow sometimes cares about the graveyard. Um, then you'll get like just donked by random rest in pieces as well. So and I feel like KCI is a little bit of a high variance risk right now. You're very much depending on your ability to draw better than your opponent and them to not draw their sweet sideboard cards against you. Um, so that's, I, I wouldn't bring it to a, a GP right now, but if, if something happened in the metagame where uh, affinity really dropped in favor, um, or there's a big shift where like maybe control or aggro got very good and those sideboard cards weren't, weren't being utilized, then I, I think it's a, a very reasonable choice. The deck is definitely very good, uh, but also very hard to play <laughs> correctly. <laughs> but you might get some free wins just by tilting your opponent by having them watch it, uh, watch you try and go off. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving a bit on to standard, there was a standard classic SCG. Uh, Teamer Energy ended up winning despite what we think is the best deck, some sort of Aether Works deck, finishing fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth, and 14th. Uh, that's, there's a bunch there, but Teamer Energy ended up taking it uh, with. Three negates in the main board, a confiscation coup in the main deck. How did you think that matchup played out, Robin? Is this like an ad- adoption to be able to like, the adoption of confiscation coup in the main deck and three negates? Is that part of the plan to to be good against Marvel? KYT said main board first. I just want everyone to note it, and I want them to know that I noticed it. Anyways, yeah. So this is uh, very close to where Derek got to. Um, at the PT, actually. And I feel like this might almost be almost his exact list. It was very, very close to what he played. Uh, he, I don't think he had a coup in the main. Um, I, I don't know how much that, that actually matters. He probably was playing three Virtuoso instead. Um, and we were, like, similar here, but we had Deep Fiends um, instead of, like, some of the fancy cards. But, I mean, yeah, the reason we played those Teamer decks is we thought that they had a reasonable mid-ga- mid-range game plan. Uh, that had interactive spells against Marvel, right? So we thought we would have a good Marvel matchup. And from the other people playing the deck, they seem to have had <laughs> reasonable success against Marvel. Uh, so I suppose that being able to stick a, a couple creatures, um, especially like Bristling Hydra, they, they kind of have a, a problem with that one once it gets on the board. And then leaving up some counter magic to interact is is reasonable. And then the four Cubs main makes sense because like Fournier, their team was on that plan, right? To like basically bring in this type of deck against Marvel in the mirror match and inside out kind of the uh, the combo or whatever. So, yeah, I feel like if you think it's a very Marvel-heavy game, this seems like a reasonable choice. Um, 
the deck isn't doing anything too fancy. It just looks like it's pretty consistent. I do like playing the Q uh, in the main right now. I think it's I think it's a good choice. Um, I, I like it as a one of anyways. I don't know if you'd really want to go more than that at this point, but uh, I would be curious to see how a deck like this does against like zombies or something. I feel like that might be a, a tough matchup without like Big Chandra uh, in the main and stuff like that, and not really having a lot of ways to deal with them. But yeah, I guess zombies on the decline. So <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's fine. There, Derek was a, a couple weeks too early. It seems he could could have won the PT. <laughs> so I, I guess this is the deck to possibly play if if we think it's all Marvel and and just to jump in the league with this deck. Um, yeah. I'm not playing zombies again because I'm I'm get, I'd get slaughtered. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think yeah. If you like, if you don't want to play Marvel, or you're sick of trying to hit Ulamogs. Um, I think this would be a fine place to start and see if this is something that um, that lines up with what the rest of the league is doing. Uh, I would rather just play play Marvel though. It's just it's doing something similar and just more more explosive, right? You kind of have access to all the same cards. So if you want the game plan that this deck has, you can have it if you if you so choose. But you also get to just, like, um, slam a little mug on turn four some, some amount of time, <laughs> which is uh, it's pretty good, I hear. All right. Um, stay, sticking with uh, Standard, uh, Adrian Sullivan just published an article today on SEG called Sensor and Constructed, and it's basically about how awesome he thinks Sensor is, and we've mentioned this card on and off. I think Brian was the first one, I have to give credit, on the show to be uh, very pro-Sensor on the show and um but our our other good friend shaheen definitely does not share that opinion anymore so i'll just read a passage from shaheen's article sensor is a card i had high hopes for since it was previewed i've played a hundred games or so with the improved force spike and have determined that is much weaker than i initially thought players are aware that the card is played which helps and hurts us at the same time since i've cut sensor from my control list players are still taking their time to resolve key spells and not get blown out after a full game, they realize I don't have it in my deck, but often the damage has already been done. When I was playing a playset of sensors in each of my control decks, I often cycled them, trying to hit a land time after time. It took a dozen MTGO leagues for me to realize I anticipate is the card I should be in that curve slot. Instead, what do you think about that, Brian, that he's like anti-sensor now? I mean, he's just saying like you can represent that you have sensor in your deck without actually having it. I don't... I don't think he's dumb enough to say like sensor isn't a good card because sensor is obviously a clearly powerful card that fundamentally changes the way you have to play the early turns in standard. I just think that he's noticed that everyone expects you to have sensor and correctly so, so you don't actually have to play sensor anymore. That makes perfect sense to me and is a fine adaptation. At some point you might get punished for not having sensor in your deck. Um, I, I think people are still apt though to, act like you do until there's compelling evidence otherwise. Um, so this is like a nice little mid-format adaptation. If he's trying to make the argument that Sensor's a bad card, he's crazy. Um, and he's certainly made other horrible arguments before in the past. Like he said, Preordain <laughs> was unplayable through the length of the format. Like, oh yeah, it's just restricted in Vintage, Banned in Modern. Totally unplayable though in Standard. It's definitely not worth it. Um, so, you know, you have to take that kind of argument with a grain of salt, but I, I don't think that's what he's actually trying to say. I just think he's pointing out a mid-format adaptation. Everyone thinks you have sensor. You don't actually have to play sensor anymore. And that does make some sense to me. 
he'll be punished once in a while for not having it, but he'll also, you know, hit his land drops more consistently because he has access to anticipate. So, uh, yeah, I like, I like this theory. I, I think it's a neat little adaptation a few weeks in. Yeah, we, we were kind of on this train, too, when we were testing for Montreal. And although I didn't do well, other people on the deck list did just fine um, and made day two with, like, a, mostly X2 records. But um, we started with four sensor, uh, and then it just seemed like we were both playing, like, we were playing the Marvel Mirror a bunch, um, me and, and Derek and a couple of people that were testing for Montreal. And we found that, just like Shaheen said, like, people were just started playing around it, right? And you just started cycling it for one, and it was, like, yeah, worse than any other card that you could be in that slot, essentially, right? Because, like, you, you're using it at instant speed anyways, so, like, I could see that if he's mostly cycling it, Anticipate would definitely be better, right? So we actually went down a two-sensor uh, and a negate because I definitely wanted people to see the sensor in game one and then play around it for the rest of the match, but I also wanted, like, one hard counter in there to kind of get, get the Marvel people uh, when they try to go off on turn five um, and, you know, just have a land up to, to pay for your sensor or whatever, you can just kind of like, you know, snap them with, with negate, but if they don't see any sensors and they're not going to play around it, <laughs> then you definitely have to have it every time. And so we were like just siding them out in the mirror because it was, we were both under the assumption that like, everyone's going to know you have it. There's no real sense in, in trying to play it. Cause you're just like spending blue and drawing a card every time. And then we were both under this assumption. And then I secretly sided them back in and then they were sweet. So I think Shaheen kind of has an interesting point in that it's it's way worse when people think you're playing it um, and way better when they think you're not playing it. Um, probably he's wrong in cutting all four. I still think you want to represent that you have it in your deck. So I wouldn't want to go lower than two. But yeah, I, I agree. It's much less impactful uh, now that everyone is wise to it being kind of ubiquitous in, in decks with, with blue mana sources which is not a, a thought that I would have thought I had a few weeks ago, I guess. <laughs> oh, Brian, Brian, like, as, as a fellow JRT fans, I feel like JRT says this a lot in, in at least the articles I've read in the past, where he would include a few cards, and his, like, reasoning is always, like, to keep them honest. <laughs> and I've, I've seen him do that a lot. And yeah, never I really understood. At, well, before. When I first read them, I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, you just you just show one copy of a card that everyone expects you have a bunch of, and then okay, you know they they know you have it. They have to play around it. Um, yeah, it's kind of like some some high level deck building. Um, you can trick yourself in a lot of situations. I remember when I was like first getting into deck building, and I I thought I was really smart and really clever. And <laughs> we were playing. I wasn't. Spoiler: I was not smart or clever. But it was in the Callblade Mirror. And Jerry had just come out with his kind of red splash in the Callblade Mirror, and he was playing Cunning Spark Mage. And your sideboarding plan changed dramatically based on whether your opponent was playing the blue-white version or the blue-white-red version, because, you know, different cards were going to get good against Cunning Spark Mage, and you'd have to sideboard differently. So in my straight blue-white version, I would play one mountain, and where it was, uh, you know, suitable for me to do so, I'd fetch up the mountain. So my opponent would see the one mountain, sideboard like I had Cunning Spark Mage, and then I'd be advantage in the post-board games. That was stupid. Don't do stuff like that. Like you're outthinking yourself so far. There, there's keeping people honest, and then there's trying to prove how clever you are. And that was me trying to prove how clever I was. And you don't need to go that far because honestly, people just don't pay attention to a lot of stuff. Like half of this stuff is going to go right over their heads, and and they're not going to see it anyway. So the thing with like 
even if you don't show a sensor in game one, if someone has decided that you are playing a deck that includes sensor, they probably will continue to play around sensor. Like they don't, they won't adapt and say, oh, maybe my opponent isn't playing sensor. Now that's not true about everyone. Obviously some people start to think that way, but the vast majority of your opponents are going to be like level one opponents and, and not look to make that kind of read. So don't get, don't get too clever. You know, be the right amount of clever. That's where you want to be. Okay. I love it. <laughs> um, Rob, you, you've put together your team. You're ready for GP Cleveland, I hear? Yes. Finally, we finally locked it in. It's going to be uh, me, Felix uh, Say, I think that's how you pronounce his name, TSC. Do you know? I, I just pronounce it <laughs> like a variety of ways just because <laughs> – I sort of know how it's pronounced in Chinese, and then I just I just got mixed up. So I'll say Tessie then, I guess. Tess, Tessie's good. <laughs> Felix, there's only one Felix in Canada, I think, right? <laughs> Probably, well, maybe only one competent uh, or pro- prolific uh, player, anyways. Sweet. And uh, Bosu was going to be our third, uh, but he can't make it down. Um, so oh, Derek Fight, misplaced ginger, is going to fill in for him. So. Uh, I'm going to whip Derek into shape for Omniket Sealed for his RPTQ this week anyways. Uh, so he should be prepped and ready for the, uh, for the GP a, a few weeks from now. So I think our team's pretty good. I have high hopes. And uh, I definitely need to scrape two or three points out of the GP since my dismal uh, performance from Montreal puts me in a very awkward spot to try and hit silver by the end of the season. So hopefully we open a pool that has some play to it and uh, don't make any egregious errors throughout at least day one. <laughs> I was gonna say like uh, re- like replacing Bozu with with a trophy champ is not that bad, but I think Derek has mentioned that he sucks at sealed. Is that correct? Uh, he sucks at deck building, okay. uh, but he's good at playing Magic. So luckily, I can make sure that there are minimal deck building errors <laughs> with with Felix's help coming out of the uh, the deck building process, and we can just give Derek something sweet to pilot uh, that I'm, I'm sure he'll wreck with. Uh, have you learned anything uh, since last week? I know you've played maybe drafted or, or played sealed a bunch or, or just mentioned how you might be prepping as a team for this. Yeah. So I, I think uh, coming to the PT, everyone thought that this format was like so blazing fast, like almost as fast as, as Zendikar or some people were even saying it's faster than Zendikar, something crazy like that. I think it's not really <laughs> kind of close to that. Uh, I think there are decks uh, that when they get, if they're built properly and they get the right draws, they, um, but you can, you can cr- create a deck that's like can interact with that, right? You just need to be cognizant that that's an archetype that's in the format, and make sure you're drafting to to be like able to sideboard in a deck that can that can like you know put up resistance against that kind of deck. But I think there are lots of good mid range decks, and there's lots of good control decks. So the format's actually pretty reasonable, even though the the removal is like just slightly lower power level than I think I would have liked um, to make it like a very great format, but. I don't know. Yeah, all, all the archetypes seem viable. Uh, the synergies are definitely exaggerated for some of them. And if you don't get enough of the, the sweet uncommons, your deck's kind of like not doing anything interesting. But um, yeah, I think the aggressiveness of the format was was a little bit <laughs> was a little bit over the top coming out of the PT. So I don't know how that's going to translate to Team Sealed. It's usually pretty close to how the draft format looks. So yeah, probably we'll have a deck that is whatever the most prolific uh synergy uh that we open in our pool is they can take advantage of that whether it be like beam black counters or black white zombies or blue red spells um and then probably an aggro deck and then probably a good stuff deck that's kind of usually how those things map out but we're going to be cracking a bunch of packs closer to the event and 
hopefully get a better feel for what is more likely and how to kind of position the pool to, uh, to be effective against what other people might be doing. Hmm. I was over at my friend's house uh, this past weekend. He was just overemphasizing taking two drops <laughs> all the time because I guess he still thinks it's, like, super fast. But like you said, it's not, it's not that crazy fast, especially if the opponent has cards to deal with your early game. Brian, have you have you been playing much lately, or are you just uh, theory crafting twenty four seven here? Just constant theory crafting, man. It's like one hundred percent theory crafting all the time. It doesn't stop. And by that, I mean I haven't really seen that much magic lately. I, w- I was in New Orleans for a bachelor party all this past week, and um, surprisingly, magic was not the topic of conversation while we were there. I was uh, I was amongst many muggles, and I was the only wizard present. So I think if I had I brought up magic. I might have been burned at the stake, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to catch back up and uh, figure out what's going on in the magical world. And I don't really have any tournaments coming up. Yeah, like, you know, I get excited about magic when I have something to play. And I guess I'm thankful for that because I, I just don't have any interest in the standard format whatsoever. So um, I, I'd actually, I can say this with a straight face, I'd rather play modern than standard right now. And for longtime viewers of the show, you know my, my vitriol for for uh the modern the modern game but it looks more interesting to me than standard it's just not something i i want to play um hoping there'll be a shake-up i don't know if there will be is brian but, uh, is brian advocating for bands uh we i almost got I, to the whole episode i just want something to change man i guess i guess i'm advocating for something to happen i guess <laughs> i don't even know what it is something has to change unbands are fine i don't care do something else though. i don't want to play this format anymore so all of the product in Kaladesh just disappears off the face of the planet. It's a mystery. That, that's fine. Uh, whatever <laughs> whatever it's going to take, just do something different. Like, like, say we can play Black Lotus in this format, and like, okay, I'll figure out what the format looks like with Black Lotus now. <laughs> just so we don't have to keep doing this. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I hope there's some unbans. I, I very strongly believe that there should be some unbans. So I agree. I hope they do something. I hope that the fake diversity they see by some decks randomly running hot and doing well is not misleading to them. <laughs> Moto should be so. should be proving them wrong, I, I suppose. It's it's very clear that the problem is the energy package, right? I mean, like we just saw the energy package win again with without the Aetherworks Marvel attached to it, um, and I don't think they will ever perceive the energy package as a problem. But it's like, dude, we've slotted the same like thirty cards plus. X into three different deck lists now that are completely dominant. And it's like you you made a huge mistake with these cards and uh you know didn't didn't price things appropriately. And even when the energy decks are playing fair, they're still the best package in standard. So it, it doesn't even matter that you're taking away the broken things from them. Um and then when you add the broken things on top, you get a format that nobody wants to play. Uh so yeah, I guess I, I'm starting to dread the fact that even if there were marvel bands we're still going to get stuck with this energy package for a long time you know it's kind of like whatever whatever blue red green cards get printed in the future are they just going to slot right into that package and that's going to be where we are it's going to be a starting point for sure because it's a it's a strong package we'll have to see what happens in the coming sets though i'd be fine with that i I think at least the meta game would be interesting you'd have more interesting you'd have mardu you'd have some teamer energy list or red green energy list probably blue-red control, some sort of black or black-white zombies deck. And then there's probably a couple other decks that are 
a little more viable, uh, given that Marvel's not the best thing to do for four mana. Like maybe some Panharmonicon or like Aetherflux Reservoir deck can be semi-competitive or New Perspective gets slightly better or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, Marvel just <laughs> has been ruining things for a long time. I mean, made them ban Emrakul for Emmy. <laughs> Uh, we'll finish up the show by just talking about uh, Rob. You had seen a tweet talking about potential Hour of Devastation card being tweeted around. That looks like it's called Hour of Devastation. Double black, two colorless. All creatures lose indestructible until end of turn. Destroy all creatures. A way to sweep up Ulamog, I guess, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this card, for this card to be actually good against Ulamog. Okay, so before we get into whether or not we think it's real or fake, for this card to be good against Ulamog, uh, it would it would have to say that you can use black mana, black lands, or swamps that have been exiled to pay for its mana cost. Right? It's like right. once this card's printed, they're just like, yeah, I'll, I'll hit your swamps. <laughs> <Can't go. laughs> It's not an instant, so have have fun, right? <laughs> have fun trying to get rid of it. I mean, yeah, the, the problem with Ulamog is not that it's hard to kill when it comes down. The problem is that it just completely wrecks you uh, when you cast it, and then it makes it very hard to come back from removing it and then doing something useful, right? Um, so, yeah, I think this card's like just kind of like not effective against that game plan anyways. Um, but even if it was real, which I don't think it is, uh, it, it, would be, it would be too powerful for standard. Um, just like a four mana wrath, they've already said that they don't want this in standard. They moved everything to five mana. They've been pretty consistent about that, and they've been pretty consistent about putting that in the color of white and not the color of black as well. So it would be pretty weird for them to print this, um, especially with like Yehenny's expertise kind of being uh, in the like two sets before it. It's just like kind of strictly worse for the most part. So yeah, I don't know. I, I very much doubt it's it's real. Um, but I give kudos to the guy that, you know, put this thing together. I think he made a pretty compelling argument that created some conversation on Twitter for the day. But uh, I, I, I think with almost 100% certainty, the card is absolutely a fake. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, do you, believe, do you agree with his take? Fake. It's fake. Prove to me it's not. And then Brian obviously it. believes it's real. He believes it's real. He's just trolling you. <laughs> <laughs> Not a real card. I mean, uh, you can't. I, I don't think naming a card as the same thing as the set is really realistic. But I'm, I'm starting to think though. Wasn't there a card called Conflux in yeah, Conflux? There was a card called Conflux. Uh, maybe they are stupid enough to print this. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know anymore. I, I, I would have confidently said this is fake a few months ago, but after seeing the cavalcade of nonsense that has come out over the past few months, I, I don't know anymore. Maybe this is real. It seems really strange to me, but uh, yeah, I'll just reserve judgment until we get some more information. The most compelling really argument about the. Oh, go ahead. I'm excited about the cards that we we do believe are real, though these uh, these commander leaks. These are these are some sick cards, and you, you'd think I'm trolling you right now, except for my group of friends. Our preferred format of choice for kind of like between round play is something called the stack, and the way the stack works is that. You draw a seven-card hand, and you can play any card in your hand uh, face down and tapped as a Utopia land, a land that could tap for five colors. Or you can play it face up and untapped as a basic that can tap for whatever colors the card is. 
So five color cards in that format, first of all, there's not a lot of five color cards, but five color cards in that format are very interesting. One, because you can cast them. Two, because they're the best possible lands you can have. And I see that there's two new um, five color cards that have been spoiled so far. So I'm super excited to get those into the stack uh, and start playing with them. What? Okay. Yeah. We <laughs> can have that love for the casual cards, but it's tough to get five color cards. Like right now, that's I'm trying to think what's in there now. It's like Fusion Elemental, and there's Coalition Victory and Last Stand. And I don't think we put in the Sliver Queens because they're too good. Um, but, but yeah, we needed more five color cards. Child of Alara is in there. So I'm excited to have more five color cards to put into the stack. I'm just literally speechless. <laughs> I think some of these designs are, are cool though. Um there's a cat dragon. Uh that's a weird one. And a dragon spirit. <laughs> it's also weird. So I guess uh look forward to future splicing of all the card types with other card types that you're a fan of. So we just need like some angel dragons and some uh some demon dragons, uh, maybe even a hydra dragon, and we've kind of like completed the <laughs> cycle there of iconic mashups or whatever. Um, I don't know. Yeah, who cares about Commander? Jesus, this is the worst. <laughs> In all circumstances, except where there's five color cards, I would agree with you 100%, but I'm happy to have more five color cards. Uh, I think this is... this. These dragons look pretty insane, so I, I assume that this Commander package will be worth, like, some amount of money, probably after they... To be furious because I, I refuse to spend money on them. Uh, they're probably going to be like fifty dollars cards, and I'm just going to be like totally, totally priced out. Um, hopefully, they're not that good. I, I don't know what makes a commander card good, so I'm not able to evaluate them. To me, they look pretty stupid. But <laughs> I think the Kalia commander deck was up to like a hundred and fifty or something like that. I mean, it got announced as an anthology today, so it's probably going to hit rock bottom again. But I think it was very expensive, and that's probably because people think dragons are sweet. So I assume that since this one has the Ur-Dragon in it, it likely has uh, similar financial uh, aspirations as the, the Kalia deck, I, I would guess. Um, I'm not sure, though. I'm not really a finance person, but seems seems likely. I also don't know much Portuguese, and I think the, the fake card is... That, that's both or leak card is fake, so <laughs> take, take all of it with a grain of salt. Alrighty, well that that will be our show number twenty eight. Uh, excited to see Rob compete at the PT. I can't wait, and then let's see uh, the benefits of of the uh, special invites. It's gonna be really awesome. Hopefully, this time Rob will not hate his deck. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be uh, <laughs> that's gonna be pretty important. I, I I just need to get like two points of PT. So I'll probably, you'll probably be seeing me play whatever is the known best archetype uh, going into the PT. I'll mostly, most likely just be tuning that and, uh, and playing it. I will not be taking very, very many risks. <laughs> no freaking 10 p.m. Shit, okay? No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, I mean, Briarly went 8-2 with the deck, so... I mean, it had legs, I guess, <laughs> and we converted 83% of the people on it. So it's not like it was miserable. It was just really miserable for me. <laughs> it was too ahead. Too ahead of its time. 
Um, <laughs> shout outs to our first strike producer, Kyle Smirchik, Derek White, Adrian Richardson, Zaya Carrero. Thank you so much for your support. Of course, you can join the First Strike Nation at patreon.com slash first strike. And I know that our team is really hard at work at making those cyborg guys. I think there's been a great number of them added to the folder. So if you haven't checked them out, go check them out and ask any questions. If you need any elaboration, if you need any specific matchup you want added. And even Kyle Smirchik, who... Uh, sent me his deck list before the Red Deer opened this past weekend. He asked uh, for my opinion. I think I told him that maybe, hey, you can come up with your cyborg guide, post it in the nation, and have Rob or anyone look at it, or our team just look at it, and, and give, we'll give our feedback and help you come up with a more complete cyborg guide for whatever metagame you're facing. So I think that's pretty sweet. And uh, for that, we're going to see you next week. Thanks, guys. Uh, give a thumbs up if you enjoyed the show and we will see you next week.